tonight I want us to return to that chapter that we read together, Romans chapter 5. We have sung uh, John Newton's great hymn, Amazing Grace, and um, in a way I want to uh, build on that a little bit tonight, and I've entitled this message, Outrageous Grace. Now you might react at that and think, um, you know, uh, is, is that offensive? Well, I trust it is not offensive because the point that I want to make is that what God has done for us through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, on paper seems to be outrageous. How could God do such a thing? How could he deal with sinners as he deals with them? How could he deal with his Son as he dealt with with him. I'm not going to um, expound the statement and take it apart, but I want you to have in your mind tonight the truth that is declared in Romans 5 and verse 20. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. And I want us to see uh, what God, what Paul the Apostle is trying to convey to us in this huge chapter. Romans chapter 5, it isn't given all the credit that it should be given, but it is one of the great chapters of Scripture. See how it opens there in verses 1 and 2. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God, through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Verse 1 tells us that the Lord Jesus Christ has and continues to restore the relationship with God that existed in the Garden of Eden. When God created this world, Adam and Eve were able to come into the presence of God or God was able to come into the Garden and there was no fear, there was no shame. And that is what uh, Christ does for us. We can come into the presence of God and we need not fear Uh, our shortcomings. We need not fear the sin that so easily besets us. And I want to show the wonder of that tonight, to understand what God did in the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to consider uh, the teaching of the chapter and then in what would be traditionally the third point of my message tonight, I want to give three illustrations from Scripture of what, um, or the effect of this great truth in the lives of people in the Bible. So the first thing that I want us to ponder tonight is the great reversal. The great reversal. Um, the, the, The fact that this was 
a condition of humanity at one stage and then it was totally reversed and um, those who were afraid to come into the presence of God can now come with great confidence. Paul opened this letter by explaining uh, and showing the extent of sin in humanity. Um, in the last few years, the word pandemic has become uh, commonplace. Probably prior to that, if you'd said to somebody, well, what's a pandemic? Don't know. But essentially, a pandemic is a disease that affects not only a neighborhood, not only a country, but the whole of the world. And that's what we have seen in um, COVID-19. But, friends, there was a pandemic affecting this world long before COVID-19. And that pandemic continues to this day. Now, I don't know if you're a, a vaccine taker or an anti-vaccine, um, anti-vaxxer. Whatever your position is on COVID, I'm not particularly interested. But there is a solution to the great pandemic. It is this reversal. I want to show you, to begin with, the effects of this pandemic. Come back with me to, to Romans chapter 1. And um, Paul there, as he's introducing uh, this horrifying subject of human sin, he says in verse 18 of chapter 1, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Now it's not popular to talk about the wrath of God these days. But if we are going to understand the reality of the Christian message, we have to understand that there are consequences to sin. By chapter 6, Paul puts this in a different way. He says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Friends, tonight we cannot play fast and loose with sin and think that there will not be consequences. God said to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, you can eat of all the trees of the garden, but that one you cannot eat. And when you eat of it, in that day you will die. What was he saying? The wages of sin is death. What was he saying? The wrath of God will be poured out against all unrighteousness. And friends, that is the backdrop. That is the background. That is the context of what I want to say tonight. To show again the truth of the gospel that we were considering this morning. And if we go back to chapter 5, I will show you some of the great truths that are explained here 
Look at verse 18 and 19, um, for example. So Romans 5, verse 18. Therefore, as through one man's offence, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Do you see it? The sin of Adam has brought all of us under condemnation. Second part of the verse. Even so, through one man's righteousness, uh, or righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. And what Paul is doing here, he is saying that in reality, there are two heads to humanity. Two leaders, two people who have taken responsibility. The one is Adam, the other is Christ. And from these two heads, there are two groups in this world. I'm glad in a way that as a church is split into the three sections, because often when I preach this sort of thing, I'll say, there are the lost and there are the saved. And people think, oh! But humanity is split into only two groups. As I've said, the lost and the saved. The unbeliever and the believer. Let's start this side. Um, the um, Christian and the non-Christian. So if there is that division, what has Christ achieved for us? We're all born in Adam, but there are some who are translated, as I was saying this morning, from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his dear son. Adam has brought us death and condemnation. What has Christ brought us? Well, see the end of verse 18. Resulting in justification of life. Now, some translations actually put that uh, as justification and life, as two separate entities. They're interrelated in a way that's inseparable, but they are different. Christ, when he died on the cross, took our sin and he dealt with our sin. He suffered the wrath of God on our behalf so that for the believer tonight in the annals of heaven where the sins of each of us in thought, word and deed are recorded Christ has taken that record and he has taken responsibility for it years ago when I used to preach on this um, I would use the illustration the books are open your name is at the top and as you turn the page you, you glance this list and you think oh my word it's all there but suddenly the uh, page is covered in red red ink no the blood of Christ which cleanses us from all sin if I can be a little bit more up to date the file is open, the account is there, the record is there, and somebody hits the delete button, and it's gone. 
It cannot be found. There is no record. Why? Because it was nailed to the cross. The Christian has the assurance of having peace with God. Of knowing, as uh, chapter 8 begins, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Notice how verse 19 goes on. Um, it says, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. And again, I want us to go into the courts of heaven. I'm not talking about your heart. I'm not talking about the way you live. But in the courts of heaven, you who were born in sin, shaped in iniquity, and have come to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, in the courts of heaven, you are righteous. It's as if I had never sinned. And we thank God for that. That the price has been paid. It's outrageous, isn't it? Absolutely outrageous. That we who have sinned and fall short of the glory of God can stand open-faced before the eternal, holy, righteous God without shame. We can call him our Father. We can call the Lord Jesus Christ our brother. We can thank God, the Holy Spirit, that he has dwelt within us and he has equipped us to live the Christian life. The great reversal, where sin abound, grace did much more abound. <coughs> but friends, while the record has been set straight, there is also um, a progress of change that is going on in our lives. I'm sure when we became Christians, many of us were conscious of how we had offended God. And as we confessed our sins, we had that incredible peace that came over us. And we thought, yeah, it is dealt with. Um, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. But the Holy Spirit says, okay, I've dealt with that. But do you see that there? That's an offence in my sight as well. Oh, is it, Lord? And we feel so overwhelmed. But the difference between the work of Satan and the work of the Holy Spirit is that Satan will come to you and say, do you see that? Call yourself a Christian? You can't be a Christian if you're doing that. And Satan will condemn us. But what does the Holy Spirit do? He says, do you see that? That's an offence in the sight of the Father and of the Son. And in fact, it's an offence in my sight as the Holy Spirit. But look. Look and live. My brother live. Look to Jesus now and live. There is forgiveness for all who fall short of the glory of God. And God willing, I will develop that a bit uh, in the latter part of my message tonight. 
Paul begins this chapter saying, we have peace with God. Why? Because we have been justified uh, by the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has taken our sin and he has given to us his righteousness. Notice also in verse 2 that it doesn't end there, but we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. When's that going to happen? Well, in a way, I want to encourage you and I want to warn you by saying it won't happen here on earth. All the time we're on earth, we will struggle with our sins, with our temptations and with everything that would turn us away from God. But there is a day coming when we will be welcomed into the presence of God. Our sin will be dealt with and we will be glorified. Look at Romans 8 and um, verse 30. We all know verse uh, 28. But verse 29 begins like this. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, those he called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these also he glorified. I want to say to you tonight, friends, just as the records of God say it's almost as though you've never sinned, so God sees us tonight glorified. I know it's picture language. I know it's illustration. But in heaven, there's a crown reserved for you. There's a mansion reserved for you. You will enjoy the glory of God. It's got your name on it. And no one can take it from you. That is the assurance that we have. You say, but how, Bernard, how is this possible? It's possible by the life, the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. He did it all for his people. For the people that God the Father had given to him before he came into this world. Why? Why did he do it? Well, look at verse 8. It says there, But God demonstrates his own love toward us. He did it because he loves us. Isn't that wonderful? <coughs> that we who have been so offensive Offensive in the sight of God. He loved us. So that's the great reversal. Our sin. Being taken by Christ. And we are given. Uh, the hope of glory. And his righteousness. Who. Are the ones who received this. And my second heading is. The shocking receivers. The ones who um, receive this. Who are they? And remember my heading? The outrageous grace. 
Well, um, we are pondering, as I said, verse 20, where sin abound, grace abounded much more. And the, um, the important part here is that grace is active where sin is most rampant. Listen to that. Grace is most active where sin is most rampant. That's outrageous, isn't it? But these people have fallen short of the glory of God. These people are living in a way that um, is an offence to God. They don't deserve it. And you're dead right, friends. None of us, not one person here tonight, deserves the grace of God. So who receives this grace? Well, let me give you three examples. Again, using this chapter. Look at verse 6. For when we were still without strength. Uh, other translations simply say, when we were weak. When we couldn't do anything to help ourselves. What happened? In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Over the years in pastoral ministry, I have known people who say to me, Bernard, yes, I know that I've failed. I know that I've gone wrong. And I can't come back to church when I'm like this. But when I've got myself sorted out, I'll be back. What an awful position to be in. We can't. We cannot do it. I'll illustrate it. Um, on the physical level over the years I haven't been afraid of a bit of hard work and going back to our experience in Canada this year um, whenever we go over my son says dad here's your list of jobs <laughs> this year it was a fence the length of his garden about 10 panels dig up the posts and put new ones so I got on with it and um, during the day, I'd shift one or two posts, and he'd come home in the evening, he'd get hold of the sledgehammer, he'd get hold of the pickaxe, and in just the evening, what I had done all day, he would do in a couple of hours. Why? He's strong, but I'm weak. I, could have, I think I could have done it a bit better a few years ago, but the illustration, I couldn't do more than I was capable of. And friends, when it comes to sin, youngsters, older people, we cannot do it. We cannot win the battle. It is only God in Christ who can do that for us. And we thank God that he became weak in order to help us. The eternal Son of God who in the glory of creation spoke and brought this world into being, was taken to the cross. Wasn't able even to carry the cross himself. Illustrating the effect of sin on us. When we were weak, Christ died for us. Have you dragged yourself here tonight thinking, no, I can't make it. Is there somebody listening to this 
on a later occasion and you're thinking I couldn't get to church I was so ashamed I was so belittled by my own sin Christ says where sin abounded grace abounded much more when you were too weak to help yourself Christ died for you but look at verse 8 we've got another group of people who benefited from the cross but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners Christ died for us God doesn't wait for us to tidy up our lives we are told to come as we are many people don't like the hymn just as I am without one plea because it was used so much by Billy Graham but it's a glorious truth just as I am without one plea but that thy blood was shed for me O Lamb of God I come and Christ died not for the righteous but for the unrighteous I have not come to call sinners sorry I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance who are sinners well it's the same root word as is used in verse 20 where sin abounded grace abounded much more sin is missing the mark sin sinners are those who look at God's standard and do you know what God's standard is it is 100% be perfect be holy and because we fall short of that then God says no there is no entrance for you but it is those people for whom Christ died that's outrageous they caused the death of Christ it's often said that Christianity is the only religion that exists for its enemies and that's where we come to the third category in verse 10 for if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his son friends I am amazed this morning we were looking at the testimony of Saul of Tarsus and he openly said that he was opposed to the work of the Lord Jesus Christ he was opposed to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ he was an enemy of the truth but friends what did Jesus say as he hung on the cross there was that crowd who had been baying for his blood he looked out over that crowd I don't know how many were there but one of the first things that Christ said on the cross Father forgive them for they do not know what they are doing the religious people the religious Jews had come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover but they had crucified the Son of God they had crucified the one who was only the only righteous one was that prayer answered yes friends 
because under Old Testament law, men had to come to Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, um, the day of the Passover, and um, for the Feast of Tabernacles. And I believe that on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was poured out, there would have been many of those people who had witnessed and been responsible for the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Many of them would have heard the preaching of the Apostle Peter and they responded, what must we do to be saved? And he said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. The enemies of Christ were saved on the day of Pentecost amongst those 3,000 who were saved. That is outrageous. But friends, that is the Christian gospel. That is what I have spent virtually all my working life preaching, telling sinners that God was prepared to pay the price, to take the blame for sinners. They don't deserve it. If you're here tonight and you're unconverted, you don't deserve God's grace. But he says, I've done it for you. I've done it so that you might be restored to me. So, I said to you, I want to give you three illustrations of how this truth is applied in the Bible. So, turn with me to a few passages of Scripture. First of all, to Luke 15. And we know this is the chapter of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost <coughs> son. But I want you to see how this great chapter opens. Verse 1 says, Then all the tax collectors and sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes murmured, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. For whom did Christ die? Christ died for people who know their sin. And if you have dealt with what used to be called the down and outs of our society, you will know that they're aware of their sin. They're ashamed of their sin. And they don't want to face anyone <coughs> because they feel that they are unworthy. But you see, what is said here in verse 1, the tax collectors and sinners, people who were despised, who couldn't get into nice company, they came to Jesus. Do you see the truth of that? Jesus received them. Jesus welcomed them. They did not feel condemned in his presence. And... The self-righteous religious believer said, Look at him. He receives sinners and he eats with them. What a glorious truth. And I want to say today, in January 2021, that, um, no, it's not 2021, it's 2023. Um, the Lord Jesus Christ is willing to receive 
the worst of sinners. He is willing to receive those who will um, acknowledge that they don't even reach the standards of society, let alone the standards that God sets for them. We're told in one of the Gospels that the common people heard him gladly. In a way, I want to turn this around a little bit and take up the application that I was using this morning. Could somebody walk through the door of Belvedere Free Grace Baptist Church this evening or at any time and be obviously broken by sin? Would they be welcomed? Because Christ was willing to receive people who knew that they were sinners. Remember that woman who was taken in adultery. Now I don't excuse her sin, but it's tragic that she was hauled before Jesus. What about the man? We read no record of that. And the self-righteous were saying, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. What should we do with him? And Jesus knelt on the ground and he wrote in the dust. We're not told what he wrote. But he then turned to the crowd and said, Okay, let anyone who is not guilty of sin cast the first stone. And slowly but surely, the whole crowd disappeared. Jesus then stood up he looked at the woman and he said has no one condemned you and she said no Lord and then he says neither do I condemn you friends there is not one of us can point the finger at somebody else and say you are worse than I am because if we're guilty in one point of the law then we have broken the law and the peril of the law is the wages of sin is death. So Jesus welcomes those who know that they're sinners. He administers his grace. And tonight I want to say to you, if that is you, if you know that you're a sinner, young or old, you must come. And in fact I would say you must come now. Don't delay. Come to the Lord Jesus Christ now. Secondly, I want us to, anyway, go back to the story that we were looking at um, this morning. But we'll go to Acts chapter 9. And we will look at enemies who realize their need. Acts chapter 9 tells us of the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. And there the Lord Jesus Christ puts this question to Paul. Acts chapter 9 verse 4. Then he fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? The Lord Jesus Christ knew that Saul was a persecutor. Paul um, in verse one of Acts 9 says then Saul still breathing out threats and murders against the disciples of the Lord went to the high priest 
And he lived consciously opposed to the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was an enemy of grace. Remember our text where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. It superabounded. And we have got it here. A man who has dedicated his life to the destruction of Christians and of the church. The Lord Jesus Christ came to him and not only did he save him and say, okay, well, you can sit on the back row. But he said, no, I am calling you to be my servant, as we saw this morning, to go out and to preach this glorious gospel. God made him, the Lord Jesus Christ made him one of the leading um, preachers of the whole of church history. Why? Where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. We can tell the enemies of the gospel, members of other religions, atheists, people who are given over to the secularism of our day and generation, we can say to them, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. So this unbounded grace is for sinners who know their sin. It is for enemies who realize their need. But the final illustration that I want to give tonight, it is for friends who fail. Let's turn to uh, John chapter 21. Because, again, I've made reference to this a number of times tonight. In my pastoral work, Many of the biggest problems I had were not with people outside of the church, but rather people within the church. People who thought that they could do it themselves. People who thought that um, they were good enough, and yet they failed. In John 21, um, the passage, or the chapter, begins with this statement. After these things... Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And um, what we have here is a, re the, a picture of the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ going to his disciples, but in particular to the Apostle Peter. And I want us to look in particular at verses 15 to 17. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now, in order to understand this fully, 
we need to go back to Luke chapter 22. This has taken place after the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. But Luke 22 is the night of the betrayal. And in Luke 22 and verse 33, Peter is told this. The Lord Jesus Christ is speaking. Um, no, I'll start in verse 31. Luke 22, verse 31. Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Then he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day before you deny three times that you know me. In reality, in that discourse, Peter was in effect calling Jesus a liar. Jesus warned him that he would be tested sorely. He warned him that he would fail. He warned him that he would need to come back. But Peter says, no Lord, no, you've got it wrong. I am not going to fail you. And then the Lord Jesus Christ spelt it out. Three times you are going to deny me. And then in verses 54 to 61, we have the record of Peter denying the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter was one of the closest friends of the Lord Jesus Christ here on earth. Um, he walked with him through the three and a half years of his ministry. And you'd think if anybody was going to stick it out, he would. And I want to bring this message tonight to my brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. You thought, yes, I can keep going. But something has happened. It's distressed you. You feel ashamed. And you think, how can I come back? John 21 verse 1, Jesus showed himself again to his disciples. Jesus challenged Peter three times do you love me and that question comes to us tonight do you love me do you love the Lord Jesus Christ is he more important to you than anything else Jesus asked him three times reminding him of his three failures but each time he said I'm not finished with you yet with sin abounded grace abounded much more and friends tonight if you feel crippled by your failure go to the cross go to the scriptures respond to the Holy Spirit and believe that this outrageous grace is available for you available for me and we can come in repentance before a holy God 
Peter was challenged, but he <coughs> was restored. And I want to leave you at the end of this message tonight with this great statement grace abounds much more or grace abounds all the more that's outrageous but it's the truth and it is the grace of God Amen our final hymn takes up this glorious truth um, it's the hymn 595 Sinners Jesus will receive. Tell this word of grace to all. Who the heavenly pathway leave. All who linger. All who fall. This can bring them back again. Christ receiveth sinful men. Um, when we were kids at school we had to learn things by heart. Didn't we? we had to recite them aloud in the classroom. And perhaps we, well, we will do it together as we sing. But we need to repeat this. Christ receiveth sinful men. Men and women, boys and girls, of all ages, of all languages.